Broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University, it's 88.7 WLUW, Chicago Sound Alliance. Thrilled to be here. Thank you for joining me every Sunday morning at 11 here on 88.7 FM WLUW. Got an hour uninterrupted of your favorite small town kid. Go to the Loyola Phoenix, Nick Schultz. I know Tiff Gene pretty well. I think he's the sports editor there. He is. Right? He's a sports he's editor. Yeah. Sports good, columnist, sports writer. And, uh, and there's a, there's... I'd be lying if I said I wasn't watching baseball in class. Nick Schultz, who is a, a rising star in this profession. Our guy, Nick Schultz, covers Loyola for the student newspaper there, the Loyola Phoenix. I have to keep pinching myself <laughs> and asking if this is real. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm a poor, starving college student, so I would say I was physically here, but I wouldn't say I was mentally here. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Welcome into the Sunday Sports Shootout here on WLUW 88.7 FM. I'm your host, Nick Schultz. It is so great to be back with you after a week off because last week I literally could not talk. So we are, are, we are back now in full force, and we have so, so much to get to today because, as I said, I was off last week, so we've got... A lot of baseball talk about NBA playoffs are going on as well. Some interesting developments out of college basketball regarding the transfer waiver rule and teams scheduling, mid-major teams and high-major teams scheduling. I'll talk about that later on in the show. And as I said, we'll probably have some NBA playoff talk as well because the playoffs have been really exciting. Great to see Derek Rose doing work again for the New York Knicks. But we're going to start with the Cubs. Because the Cubs are on a six-game win streak, and they're half game back at first place right now behind the St. Louis Cardinals. It's been quite the stretch for the Cubs, and Rick Morrissey has even wrote in the Sun-Times that uh, this Cubs team was turning a, they were turning a kind of a bad story into a really fun story. And what I mean by that is earlier in the year, we were talking about this Cubs team and we were talking about them as having no money. They couldn't hit, which was true. And now here they are. Their run differential is looking really good and they're starting to play really good baseball again. I'm actually going to take a quick time out here due to technical issues. I'll be back in about two seconds. I got to do something. Okay, we're going to see if the sound quality sounds a little bit better. And I don't think it is. But the show must go on. So we're going to do the show with this sound quality. Because as I'm hearing it through my headphones, it doesn't exactly sound right. So I'm not really sure what's going on with my receiver right now. But we're going to do the show like this. The podcast will sound like a normal show right now. I get the feeling I sound like I'm on the phone. It almost sounds like there's something 
out of place up in the studio. So the, the podcast version of the show will sound like a normal studio show. Right now, I'm not exactly sure what's going on with my receiver. And we're going to try one more time. No, it still sounds like that. So the podcast version of the show is going to sound better. I apologize. We had some technical issues before I came on the air today. I was testing out my receiver and it wasn't working right. So we're going to do the show like this just because, again, the show must go on. I took last week off because I literally couldn't talk. And, yeah, I'm wanting to do the show this week. So... I apologize for the sound quality right now. But again, the podcast version of the show, and all this is going to be in the podcast as well, uh, the podcast will sound better. So bear with me for the next 55 minutes. Otherwise, check out the podcast of the show. Because I'm not really sure what's going on with my receiver right now. This is the Joys of Remote Broadcasting, which we're doing all summer here at WLUW. We are still not... Back in studio, I have not been in the studio since the end of February of 2020. So we're still working remotely. This is a the joys of working remotely. So we're going to do the best we can here. And as I said, just bear with me and listen to the podcast if you want to hear a better quality version of today's show. But back on point. Cubs, winners of six straight. They're half game back of St. Louis. And they have been a half game back now for a few days. Arizona, Arizona has been playing St. Louis out in the desert. And St. Louis has been winning. So every time the Cubs win and the Cardinals win, the standings stay the same. Because the Cardinals have won four straight. Cubs have won six straight. So the Cubs are still a half game back at first place with 29 and 22 record. Uh, the number that stands out to me, though, is the plus 31 Run differential, that's the best in the NL Central, and it's fourth best in the National League behind San Diego, San Francisco, and the Dodgers. I was, I was going to say Los Angeles, but you got the Angels. But, you know, fourth best run differential in the NL Central, I mean, that's quite the drop-off. I mean, San Francisco's third in the third in the National League at 63, plus 63, and then the Cubs are fourth at plus 31. So that shows you just how well the National League West is hitting the baseball and outscoring their opponents. We won't talk about the American League just yet, but the White Sox are by far the best run differential in the American League. But yeah, so much for the they-can't-hit narrative because plus 31, that's a good run differential, but the fact that they're still in second place just tells you that they just haven't done enough. And I think early in the year when they were struggling to hit the ball, they uh, definitely didn't help that cause. <clears throat> but yeah, we're having some fun on the north side right now, aren't they? I mean, I said they've won eight of their last ten as well. And we're going to see what happens because the Cubs play the Reds today and the Cardinals again, they play Arizona today. So it's going to be a good slate of baseball on this Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. I'll be watching as much as I can today because my sister has her graduation party. She graduated high school Last week, and that was actually, so two days before I was supposed to have the show, she graduated high school, and then I got my allergies and a head cold all at the same time, and couldn't talk, so I couldn't properly congratulate her on air. 
But congratulations to my sister and her friends for graduating high school. Uh, my sister, as I've posted on my social media plenty of times, uh, she is committed and signed to play at Shenandoah University. She, to, she's playing golf there. And yes, she'll head out there in August, but today we're celebrating her with a graduation party with some friends and family. So I'll be watching as much baseball as I can while celebrating my sister. So again, congratulations to Isabel. And it's also my dad's birthday. Happy 29th to my dad. Wink, wink. But yeah, I'll be, I'll be keeping an eye on that Cubs game as much as I can because I don't get the marquee network, which still makes me mad that I don't get the marquee network. But either way, it's going to be good day of baseball between the Cubs and the Sox. And I read an interesting article over at NBC Sports Chicago. It's from Gordon Wittenmeyer, Cubs insider over there. He does great work. They all do at NBC Sports. I'm not just saying that because I used to work there. Like I, I love reading all their stuff covering the teams. But the headline for this story... This was the other day. The headline is, quote, How Cubs Corps Plans to Make Front Office, quote-unquote, uncomfortable. And what this means is, all year, it seems like, and it's, they even say this in the story, every time the Cubs win or lose a game, Twitter and the media start going, okay, they win, they're going to be buyers. They lose, oh, they're going to be sellers. And this is a quote from Chris Bryant right out of the gate in Gordon's lead. We won the first game, and Riz and some of us were all joking around that we're buyers at the deadline now. And then we lost the next game, and now we're sellers. And then Sunday, we're buyers. We're riding this roller coaster too a little bit, but having fun with it. That's really all we can do. And later on in the article, it starts talking about how, you know, are the Cubs going to be buyers? Are they going to be sellers? Because the Cubs are 15-7 and seven in the month of May, which is good, considering April was up and down. Uh, Chris Bryant's looking like himself again. And Gordon writes here, what if they make that impossible to justify, talking about breaking up the core of Bryant, Baez, Rizzo? What if they make that impossible to justify or play just well enough to make a decision like that painful? In fact, in conversations during the road trip with NBC Sports Chicago, that's exactly how players said they're approaching the season these days as a fight to keep the core together for another week or another week or month at a time to make it tough on the front office to do anything else. Quote, make it uncomfortable, Bryant said. I love this mentality, and I feel like this is why you're seeing the Cubs hit the cover off the ball. You're seeing them put it all together, and they get have a really good stretch here again. There are seven games over 500 right now, half game back at first place. If the trade deadline was today, which it's not, it's not for two months, but just for hypothetical sake, because I'm a sports radio host and I talk about hypotheticals, if the if today was the trade deadline and the Cubs were a half game back of St. Louis, what would you do if you were Jed Hoyer? Would you sell? Would you buy? You, I, you wouldn't be able, I don't think you'd be able to justify selling, would you? I mean, you're a half game back of first place in the National League Central. And also in the wildcard standings, you're a game and a half back, but the National League West is pretty much taking the wild card there because they've got San Diego with the best record in the league, in the National League, San Francisco with the second best record in the National League, and Los Angeles with the third best record in the National League. All in the same division. So you can't bank on the wild card in that sense. So you're a half game out of first place. If today was a trade deadline, you would have to buy, wouldn't you? You'd have to keep this core together. I mean, I don't know if you could justify 
breaking up this core if you're a half game back at first place. Now, that's why the trade deadline is July 31st, which is my birthday. Is it July 31st, August 1st? Either way, it used to be my birthday. It might still be. I don't know if it is after COVID and everything. But either way, you've got two months until the trade deadline. I think the month of June is going to be your telltale. If the Cubs put together another whatever they are in May, they were 15-7 and seven when this article came out, so they're probably, what, 21-7, whatever the record is. I don't know. I'm not, I, I didn't do the math before the show. I'm going to be honest. I didn't feel like doing math today. It's Memorial Day weekend. I was a comm major. I don't do math. But either way, my point is, if the Cubs put together another month in June like they did in May, I don't think you can justify selling. And I know you're going to have, you know, the crazy meatball fans on Twitter saying, sell, sell, sell. Oh, they're, oh, they're winning. Now buy, buy, buy. It's kind of like Rodney Dangerfield in Caddyshack. Everyone's selling, then buy, buy, buy when he's on the golf course. Everyone's envisioning that's what Jed Hoyer is going to be like when the Cubs win a game and then when they lose a game. So I would expect if they compete, if they continue to sustain this competitive success they're having, if they continue this, they're going to have to buy or stand pat. I, don't, I just don't think you're going to see selling at least yet. Because, I mean, Chris Bryant is looking like Chris Bryant again. It's amazing what happens when you're fully healthy. So he is healthy. He's looking like himself. Craig Kimbrell is looking like Craig Kimbrell again. Kyle Hendricks is kind of getting back on track after a rough start. Now on the other side, Nico Horner has a bad hamstring strain. David Bodie separated his shoulder yesterday. If those guys can come back, and Bodie's getting an MRI as we speak. And Horner can be back in about two weeks. I think it's going to depend on how bad the strain was. But if those two come back, I'm not sure what all, like, in terms of monumental moves you can make at the trade deadline. If those two are still out, specifically I'm talking about Nico Horner, you need a second baseman. Now, I don't have a name. I did not put a lot of thought into this. I did not put that much thought into this. It is only May. It is June in two days. We're not talking about, oh, the coach should go out and get this guy, this guy. Not that time yet. It's too early. Last season felt like a sprint. So this year feels like, oh, well, we should start talking about this. No, no. It's only May for right now, and then it'll be June on Tuesday. If Nico Horner's not back, you're going to need a second baseman. I don't know who's going to be on the market. If David Bodie's still out, which I, that separated shoulder didn't look great. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I don't even play one on TV. I don't want to tell you how long a separated shoulder is going to keep you out of a baseball game. But if David Bodie's not back by then, or if he's still rehabbing whatever, you need another guy. And I know 
the Cubs signed D Gordon or what? What is his name now? D Strange Gordon to a minor league deal to kind of help with the Horner situation. You can make another move. Again, I don't. I don't have a name. It's too early to be putting that much thought into this. But either way, I. I expect if the Cubs can keep doing what they're doing right now and making the front office uncomfortable, as Chris Bryant said, if they can keep winning, I would not expect them to be sellers. Jonah Blatt, Bishop Emeritus of Blurs. What's up, Jonah? Uh, thanks for still listening, even though I don't sound the greatest. Uh, he chimes in. I think the Cubs could buy a piece or two in July to keep this up. A nice shiny Matt Boyd, perhaps. I, don't, I haven't done any... I haven't even thought that far yet about specific names. But remember, Jonah's a Tigers fan, so do it that way, you will. But yeah, I could I could see them picking up a piece or two. It's going to be a matter of who's going to sell at the deadline. It's Because I... It's too early. The fact that I'm even talking about this right now tells you how surprising it is that the Cubs are winning this many games. Because I remember sitting here and complaining into this very microphone in this very seat that the Cubs couldn't hit the ball and they were bad. Now, they had the motivation. It reminds me of in Major League when Rachel Phelps wants to move the team to Miami. She wants them to lose. So they decide to win to keep the team in Cleveland. If the Cubs lose, they're going to break up that core. Baez, Rizzo, Bryant, Contreras. If they win, they're going to have to keep that core together. So they're going to they're going to want to keep winning to keep this core intact. And I know Jed Hoyer was quoted saying, "Now that Wrigley Field's moving to sixty percent capacity, which it did this weekend, which is great to see, that there will be some more funds, I guess, for like you know." trade deadline moves, and they won't be having Tom Ricketts trot out there saying, oh, we, we talk about money. You know, we don't have any. Yeah, you you can't say that anymore. Fans are getting back in the stands. I don't want to hear, oh, we don't have any money. And Jed Hoyer's realizing that. So maybe there's going to be some wiggle room for a move at the deadline. We'll see. But for right now, as we sit here now, May 30th, 2021, at 11.19 a.m., we need to see what happens in the next month. July 1st. If July 1st... Actually, no, we're going to do it this way. If July 4th, which is the Sunday, and I will do a show on the 4th of July, by the way. If on July 4th, you can book it. If the Cubs are a half game back or in first place at all, this core stays intact. At least through the end of this year. And I think at the deadline, they're gonna get they're gonna make some supporting moves. I don't know if you'll see anything monumental. I hate mixing sports references, but I'm gonna make sports references here. I don't think you're gonna see the equivalent of Nikola Vucevic to the Bulls. 
I think you're going to see maybe a an under-the-radar type of acquisition. I don't think you're going to see any seismic move from the roster if the Cubs are in first place on the 4th of July. But again, that's just me. And we are two months out from the trade deadline. we got a lot of time left. I'm going to take a quick timeout. When we come back, I'm going to talk about the White Sox and how their recent stretch might be showing that Tony LaRusse is not doing a bad job. That's up next here on the Sunday Sports Shootout on WLUW. And we're back here on the Sunday Sports Shootout on WLUW 88.7 FM. Trying some different things to make sure I sound a little bit better. I'm Nick Schultz, if you're just joining. All right, let's talk White Sox. Because the White Sox on Twitter and everywhere, you know, they're in first place. And when I say they're in first place, they're a half game, or they're, I'm sorry, that's the wild card. They're three games up on Cleveland. They're 31 and 20, 11 games over 500. They've won three in a row, and their run differential is plus 78. That's good. Like, best in the American League, good. The next closest is Tampa Bay, plus 57. So the White Sox are doing really well. They've won five of their last six. They've won three in a row. That run differential is second in Major League Baseball behind San Diego at plus 89. And they're doing this without Luis Robert, and Deloy Jimenez. What does this say about Tony La Russa then? And I feel like I'm one of the only ones anywhere. I'm talking sports radio. I'm talking Twitter. I'm talking wherever. I think I'm one of the only ones that doesn't hate Tony La Russa as manager. When I say hate, I mean hate the idea of Tony La Russa as manager. Let's think about this. What did I just say? 11 games over 500. Best run differential in the American League. Without two of your best power hitters in Luis Robert and Nilo Jimenez. He's doing okay. He's 76 and has been out of the game for 10 years. You knew there were going to be hiccups. I look at the extra inning rule in Cincinnati, which again, I said at the time, I said on the show, I didn't even know. I don't blame a Hall of Famer baseball person for not knowing Little League rules, basically. We also need to talk about, this is what I wanted to talk about last week, but again, I literally could not talk. We need to discuss the unwritten rule conversation. Now, as, as you've heard me on the show before, I tend to be more old school with my baseball analysis and my baseball thoughts. I look specifically at the idea that I don't buy into war. I don't buy into necessarily launch angle and exit velocity as end-all, be-all to determine a hitter. I look at batting average. I look at RBI, look at on-base percentage. That's from a statistical standpoint. 
I'm also a big fan of the bunt, the hit and run, the stolen base. I'm old school in that regard. Provide some context because it has been a couple weeks. Your main Mercedes is batting against the Minnesota Twins in a blowout game. And I'm talking a blowout game. This game was so much of a blowout that the Twins had a position player pitch. Mercedes had a 3-0 count. And I cannot for the life of me remember who was pitching for the Twins. It was like a catcher. Threw him a pitch down the middle and Mercedes hit a home run. It was hilarious. I remember watching it. I was at work that night watching this game. And it was hilarious. That night and into the next day, it comes out from Tony LaRussa that he gave him the take sign. And Mercedes blew off the take sign. Let's stop there. At this point, this is where you had me. I'm like, okay. He blew, he missed the take sign, or he didn't miss it. He blew off the take sign. He admitted he didn't, he knew he had the take sign, but he swung anyway. Okay, that's a problem. Your manager gives you the take sign, you take the pitch. Okay, here's where you have me with this argument. Because I can tell you firsthand that there are a lot, there at least old school, if you swing when you have the take sign, you're benched. Obviously, that's not really the case anymore. You don't really see the take sign with a position player pitching anymore. Funny I bring that up. As Tony's going on with this answer, he's talking about how the Twins had a position player pitching and you need to respect the game and it's an unwritten rule and you don't show up the pitcher. This is where you lose me a little bit. It is not an unwritten rule. If anything, it'd be an unwritten rule to use a pitcher instead of a position player to pitch. And this goes on and on about how Tony apologized to the Twins and later on, and then the next day the Twins threw behind Mercedes and Tony thought it was a reasonable response and it went off the rails. I was really torn on this because on one hand, I get what Tony's saying about the take sign. If you get a take sign, you take the pitch. I don't care if it's 1-0, 2-0, 3 2-1-1. I don't care if it's Nolan Ryan pitching. And I also don't care if it's Anthony Rizzo pitching. You get the take sign, you take the pitch because your manager told you to take the pitch. Okay, I'm with Tony on that. But don't bring unwritten rules and respect for the game and all this get-off-my-lawn type of conversation into this discussion because you're taking away from your point. The point was you gave a sign and your player missed the sign or in this case blew off the sign. It's not about unwritten rules. So that was a big misstep. 
by Tony LaRusso. But again, you've got to, you're dealing with Tony LaRusso. This is how he is. He's old school. He's going to tell you what he thinks. He's arrogant. That's what you're going to get. But my point with this whole thing, on the field, I've said this, I can't count how many times, I sound like a broken record, so I'm going to say it again. You had the second best baseball mind alive behind Joe Torre. You're in first place with a similar batting order to last year. And I know you've got Lance Lynn on the mound. Luis Robert, and this is without Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez. In the big picture, your roster didn't change all that much from last year in terms of the batting order, yet here you are with the best run differential in baseball. Now I know you've got Lance Lynn now is the big acquisition on the mound. Andrew Vaughn's up. Yasmani Grandal hasn't been Yasmani Grandal. Tony LaRusso is doing a, an okay job. I know every mistake he makes is going to be amplified considering the hiring process or lack thereof, I guess. The hiring process wasn't great. And then the DUI came out. That wasn't good. Every mistake he makes is going to be under a microscope. It's going to be amplified 50 times. But you need to look at the good too. And I think he's doing an okay job. It could be a lot worse. I really don't think Rick Renteria has this team in first place. And when I say in first place, I'm talking about 11 games over 500 and three games up on Cleveland. I don't think Rick Renteria is that guy. Tony LaRusso was not my choice for White Sox manager. But he's who they decided on. He's a great baseball mind. He's doing all right. One thing I forgot to get to about the Cubs. Speaking of great baseball minds. Or lack thereof here. We need to talk about the Javi Baez play. In that play, if you missed it, which if you've missed it, you must, you must be living under a rock because it is everywhere. Javi Baez hits a ground ball to third. Now keep, oh, prefaces. There's two outs. Ground ball to third. Third baseman throws. It pulls the first baseman off the bag. Javi starts backing up and getting a rundown between home and first. Wilson Contreras was the runner on second. He winds up scoring. The first baseman never tagged Javi. Threw the ball home. Contreras was safe. Baez starts running back towards first. Dives headfirst into the base. The ball is thrown into right field. Baez gets to second. Probably, no. Easily 
the craziest play I've ever seen. But it's also the highest baseball IQ play I've ever seen and the lowest baseball IQ play I've ever seen at the same time. It's the highest from the runner standpoint because for Javi to recognize that Will Craig was off the base and give the runner time to score, getting that rundown, that's genius. But it's the lowest from the first baseman standpoint. And as someone who grew up playing first base, I can tell you this, and as an umpire, all they had to do was step on the base. Even after Contreras scored, all they had to do was step on the base. Because if you step on the base first, the run doesn't count. There were two outs. All you had to do was step on the base. So from a first baseman standpoint, it's the lowest baseball IQ play I've ever seen. You know, everywhere I go now, whenever we talk Cubs or something comes up about the Cubs, the, the question is, did you see the hobby play? And it was, it was El Mago at work. Because Javier Baez, I know he swings at everything. He doesn't take a walk. I get that. I know that. I recognize that. He's the smartest player on that field at all times. I don't think I'm out of line saying that. From a baseball IQ standpoint, he's the smartest player on that field. He's one of those guys who's recognized that the the batter on a short pop-up on a pop-up to short is dogging it to first, so he lets it drop. We runners on, it was runners on first and second. It's a pop-up, runner goes back, runners go back to their base, he lets it drop, throws it to third for one, throws it to second for two. That's the kind of stuff he does. He, he is the smartest guy on that field, and you saw it in Pittsburgh. How many runners would recognize that the first baseman's off the base and you can get in the rundown to let that runner on second score? I don't know if I can pick another player in baseball who would be smart enough to do that. You don't see that play. You can't teach that. That is all instinct. And that's what makes Javi Baez so great. It is all instinct for him. And that play showed it. It was awesome. I still haven't heard Pat Hughes' call, by the way. I'm hoping someone can hook a brother up with how Pat Hughes called that play because... John Shambi and Jim Deshays had a really great call on it as Deshays is sitting there going, go, keep going, keep going. And Boog didn't know what to say. It was, it was great. I still want to hear Pat Hughes call it on the radio. So if someone can hook a brother up, that would be great. But yeah, what a time to be a Chicago baseball fan, right? Cubs have won six in a row, half game back at first place. 
Sox are 11 games over 500, three games up for first place. Best run differentially in the American League. This is a fun time to be a Chicago baseball fan. And I think it's going to keep being fun. Now, someone brought up the idea of a Cubs-Sox World Series this year. All right, let, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. I, I think the only team in town that you can consider a serious World Series candidate is the Sox. I need to see more from the Cubs. I need to see more of this chip-on-the-shoulder mentality. I need to see more. I think the pieces are there for, like, the White Sox, if they get Robert and Jimenez back, they're, they're unstoppable. The Cubs right now, they've got some holes. That 2016 roster was stacked. It was loaded. This roster has holes. And I don't know if I trust guys like Matt Duffy, Eric Sogard. I don't know if I trust some of these guys. Jack Peterson, even. I don't know if I trust them to go to the World Series. But again, it's only May, almost June. There's a lot of time left. But either way, what we need to do right now as Chicago baseball fans is enjoy what we've got. We've got two baseball teams that are playing really good baseball. They're looking great. I went to the Sox game on Monday. It was my first game in 20 months. It was awesome. It felt so great to be back at the ballpark. It was the first game since I turned 21. So it felt good to finally have a beer and a dog at the ballpark. I really enjoyed it. And I'm hoping to get to more games here soon. Especially now with both teams playing well. Obviously guaranteed rate's a little easier for me to get to coming from south of Chicago. But I'm hoping to get to Wrigley too. Going to take one more time out here on the Sunday Sports Shootout on WLUW. When we come back, what some college basketball programs are doing in response to the transfer waiver rule that has some people laughing and some people raising questions. That next. That's one of my favorite legal IDs that we have. It's the Ferris Bueller one. That just absolutely cracks me up. We are back. You're on the Sunday Sports Shootout on WLUW 88.7 FM. I'm your host, Nick Schultz. All right, let's talk college hoops. And maybe some NBA playoffs if we get some time here as well. But college hoops. A tweet came out from John Rothstein the other day. This is May 25th. And I'm not really sure how to respond to this. All I said was, and so it begins... Because as I've said on the show numerous times, I hate this new transfer rule. I think it's garbage. I think it's the death of mid-major basketball. I'm not a fan at all. So when I see this tweet saying, Sources, multiple mid-major programs are opting to not play guarantee games against high-major programs, because it gives power conference teams a, quote, free live evaluation of players who could move up via the transfer portal. The level of separation has never been greater. That's from John Rothstein. 
let's think about this. How stupid is that? Like, guarantee games, if you don't know college basketball, guarantee games mean schools pay for the games. And what that means, so if Loyola, if Loyola was to play Duke, well, just speaking hypothetically, I'm throwing out a team that would probably never play Loyola. But Drew Valentine could schedule Mike Krzyzewski and Duke. It would be a buy game likely for Duke, which means Duke would pay for that game. That money goes to Loyola. That's how that works. So the fact that these mid-major programs are opting not to play these games is idiotic. Because players move up via the transfer portal even, even without a free live evaluation. Let's take, for example... Drake. This year, Drake had a player on its roster named Joe Yesifu. And Joe Yesifu was sixth man of the year in the Missouri Valley Conference. He put on a show in the NCAA tournament in Drake's two games. He entered the transfer portal and went to Kansas. Drake didn't play Kansas. That game, they, they didn't play each other. So it doesn't matter if they have a free live evaluation. Players are going to move up anyway. Now, this new transfer rule is absolutely stupid. The one-time transfer. Because that means these mid-major players could feasibly lead these little schools and go play and move up and play immediately next year. The whole point of the sit-out year, from the mid-major standpoint especially, but the whole point of that sit-out year is to discourage a free agency type system. It is to encourage student-athletes, which I hate that term, but it encourages these players to stay at their school. To not be unhappy with something, with the program, whatever, and just decide to leave and then go play the next year. You can't tell me that Cameron Crutwig would not have succeeded in a higher league. If this one-time transfer waiver was there, now, Crut's not the type of guy who would have left, and Crut's a good friend of mine, but I'm using him as the example here. He would have succeeded in another league, but he's the type of guy, he was loyal to the program. But what if you get a guy who's not loyal to the program? What if you get a guy who's only playing basketball 
in college to play basketball in college. Doesn't care who he plays for. Just wants to play ball and do his thing. That's where the issue comes in. Verbal commits, as I was on the air and sparked this thought, retweeted their tweet from six days ago. 1,630 names in the transfer portal. Now that number is 1,640. The amount of players entering the transfer portal, and I have ranted and moaned about this for weeks, months. The amount of players in the transfer portal is laughable. Where are all these guys going to go? If they haven't gone anywhere already. You're going to see more of this. Now the transfer portal itself is flawed. I don't have a way to fix it. Not like an instant way to fix it. But it's... It's not helping. And now going back to the scheduling issue... If you don't take these guarantee games, your strength of schedule is going to be that much worse. And this is where Jonah chimes in again. Making your schedule weaker for the sake of preventing scouting, quote-unquote, feels like cutting off your nose to spite your face. So you're that worried about these high major schools going after one of your players that you're going to make your schedule weaker. To me... These mid-major coaches who are doing this, now I don't and I don't know who specifically is doing this. John was very general in his tweet. But these coaches need to realize you're hurting the team. You're hurting the chances for selection Sunday. Like, are you are you that worried that you're not gonna be able to convince? Some of your players to stick around because that's what it's going to be. It's going to these coaches are going to have to recruit their players year after year. Are you worried you can't keep your player around? I mean, that's fine. Like, I mean, if you're that worried about it, you're going to let your strength of schedule suffer. Like, okay, you you do you. I'm not one to tell a coach how to how to coach his team, how to lead his program. But I'm going to sit here and tell you that's stupid. Mid-major schools are already at a disadvantage because they don't play in the Big Ten, which got, what, eight bids and only one team, two teams made it past Sweet 16? Insane. Maybe it was two teams made it past the round of 32. Either way, my point stands. The Big Ten had too many bids. Meanwhile, the Missouri Valley barely got two bids. And the only way the Valley got that second bid was Drake had to play in the first four. Mid-major schools are at a disadvantage. Not scheduling these high-major opponents because you're worried about them poaching your players just it just increases that disadvantage 
So this notion of a free live evaluation that John Rothstein is talking about is bad for the game, and so is the transfer rule. <clears throat> but it's not good for the game. It's not good for mid-major basketball. And I've seen people laughing at some of, at these schools that are like, are, are you kidding me? Because, yeah, at some point, you've got to schedule these games. You can't keep playing these little tiny schools. Like, you've got to play good schools to increase your resume, to improve your resume. Again, this is whether it's a good impact of this transfer rule or bad in this case I don't think it's a, I don't think it's good. This is what you're going to see now. You're going to see teams worried about their players leaving. These coaches not only will have to recruit these players out of high school, but they're going to have to recruit them year after year after year. To stay with their program. This rule is idiotic. And I mean so is not scheduling. High major opponents. Because you're worried about your players leaving. But this again. Is just another impact. Of this rule. Because it sucks. Alright I got about. Seven minutes left here. I'll talk some NBA playoffs. <clears throat> because the playoffs have been entertaining so far. At least I think. We've had a couple blowouts. Which, not great. But all in all, I think the playoffs have been exciting. I told this story on the Believe in Bulls podcast this week, which feel free to go check that out on the Believe Podcast Network every Wednesday, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Not a lot of Bulls to talk about now. So we're talking NBA playoffs. And I told this story. And I'll tell it again here because I got time and figure I may as well tell it again. The year is 2017. Wichita State leaves Missouri Valley. They go to the American. So the search starts for a replacement. I had this confirmed at the time. And I can confirm it again now. Valley officials visited Nebraska-Omaha, Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Valpo, and Murray State. Now, ultimately, the Valley decided to add Valpo. But if they'd have added Murray State at that time, in 2017, Murray State recruited this freshman out of South Carolina named John Morant. As a freshman, he was all Ohio Valley, all freshman, whole thing. He got on the national map as a sophomore when he took Murray State to the NCAA tournament, wound up being the number two overall pick and going to Memphis. Why do I tell this story? Murray State was this close to joining the Missouri Valley. They were that close. If they did, 
say the Valley decided to add Murray State instead of Valpo. What would that have meant for John Morant's career? Would we know John Morant like we know John Morant now? Would he have lit it up as a sophomore and become the number two overall pick? Or would he have struggled with the adjustment to the Valley? It's all hypothetical, but it's just something fun to think about because I remember when that all went down, I really thought Murray State was the team. Like, I I thought Murray State was going to join the Valley from the Ohio Valley. And I had never heard of John Morant. But I thought Murray State would have been a good fit. But just watching John Morant do what he's doing in the playoffs. He's putting up some good numbers. He's looking really good. He's improving his game as he goes. He's getting better and better. Just what if? What if the Valley decided on Murray State at the time? It was just fun to think about. And I I love talking about that. Because I remember when that all went down. And now I can... I don't have any sourcing behind this. This is purely me speculating. I think you see Murray State in the Missouri Valley within the next five years. I think the Valley is going to have to expand. And with the new commissioner taking over Tuesday... I really think the Valley is going to expand in the next five years. But speaking of new commissioner taking over Tuesday, congratulations to Doug Elgin. What a career. What a tenure with the Missouri Valley. It it was quite a career. And yeah, it just all the best to Doug Elgin, who retired at the end of the academic year, I believe. I believe June 1st is like the official date. But yeah, congratulations to Doug Elgin. And all the best in retirement. But I really do think the Valley expands. I think you see Murray State in the league. And who knows what could have happened if four years ago, the Valley decided to go to Kentucky and bring in Murray State instead of bringing in Valparaiso. It's just one of those what-ifs that I like to talk about, especially because I love the Missouri Valley, I love college basketball, I love mid-major basketball. And with John Morant doing what he's doing in the playoffs, it's just fun to talk about. Yeah, how about Milwaukee, by the way? Well, we got a couple minutes here. Sweeping Miami. How about that? You know, last year, Bucks got eliminated in the second round, and Miami obviously went to the NBA Finals. This year, Milwaukee swept them. It was great. And I say it's great, but I, I really do. I like Jimmy Butler. I like Duncan Robinson. I like Bam Adebayo. Like, I think Miami's got a good thing going. It's just not enough. And I'm also just a big Giannis fan as well. So I'm Milwaukee's kind of like my adopted team for the playoffs. Because I, li- I like Giannis. 
So that did my heart good. Real quickly here from the Bishop Emeritus. Loyola should do what Gonzaga is doing in the WCC, pressure the other schools to invest more in their basketball programs to improve conference quality. Well, Steve Watson has said the goal is to be like a Gonzaga in the Midwest. I mean, he, Joanne Rooney, and a couple other administrators went out to Gonzaga to talk to their president, their athletic department, etc. So that wouldn't surprise me if that was a goal. We're running out of time, but thank you again for bearing with the technical difficulties. Um, that was my first time jumping to a break. I think I have to do that every week now. But yeah, thank you for bearing with me. Hopefully I sound a little better next week, at least in terms of quality next Sunday. And I look forward to talking back with you here next week on the Sunday Sports Shootout on WLUW 88.7 FM. Have a great week, everybody.